This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for October 13th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Gospel lesson, we have Luke's telling the story of the ten lepers. Luke um, is called Luke the physician because he so often focuses on Jesus' healing ministries and the many people that he healed. And in this case, there are ten lepers as Jesus is traveling between Galilee and towards Samaria. He's probably in the northern part of Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling down there, there are these ten lepers. Now, leprosy at that time was considered one of the worst forms of uncleanliness that is around. And in fact, it was thought to be very contagious, although it wasn't. And so people who were lepers were outcast. They were ostracized and, and, you know, they weren't allowed to associate with people in towns. And so they had to live in small colonies. They called them, they weren't really colonies. They were, you know, basically a a shelter in in a rock or something where they could manage to find some sort of way to survive. And they would beg because nobody would hire them either. And they would beg for food. And leprosy, if you don't know, is is a skin disease where it rots away the skin on the flesh. And so, These lepers are standing at a distance because they know they're not allowed to approach anyone upon pain of death. And so as they're there, they're crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Because they've heard this reputation about who Jesus is. And it says that Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. And when he saw them, he brought them over and he healed them of their leprosy. Now, that probably made them pretty happy. And so what he says to them is what um, is necessary for a Jew to do, which is to go to the temple, present yourselves to the priest, make a a sacrifice of thanksgiving for your healing. And and at that point, you can be readmitted into the community of God. Now, one of those lepers was a Samaritan, which is interesting because Samaritans and Jews don't associate with each other. Not just because they don't like each other, although they don't like each other, but also because Jews considered Samaritans to be unclean. And if you touched a Samaritan, you would become unclean. And so you would be ostracized. Well, apparently if you're already unclean for leprosy, that becomes less important. I guess you can only get so unclean before it doesn't matter anymore. But now we have a dilemma, don't we? Because now you have nine clean Jews and one clean Samaritan. And so the nine clean Jews go off to do what Jesus has commanded, to make their sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for the healing that they've received. The Samaritan doesn't do that. Now, there could be several reasons for that that you could postulate on. We don't really know why. Um, One might be that he wasn't a Jew, and so it wouldn't have done him any good to go to the temple. They wouldn't let him in anyway. Um, the other might be that the, the other nine Jews ran them off, you know, because they certainly didn't, after all that time being unclean as lepers, they certainly didn't want to mess it up now and have to go through something else. Um, but at any rate, he turns around, but he doesn't just go back to Samaria. He comes back to Jesus and he prostrates himself at his feet and thanks him for what he has done. And Jesus finds this remarkable, that out of the ten only the foreigner came back. Now, why was that remarkable when they were really just doing what he told them to do? Well, it was remarkable because what they didn't realize was that they had been healed, 
but they hadn't been saved. They hadn't been made whole because they hadn't really recognized who he was. And so their healing was temporary. It was something that, yeah, they didn't have leprosy anymore, but their life had not been transformed. They just now no longer had that particular disease. And so while they were doing what was required by the law, it didn't give them anything beyond that. But this Samaritan, who actually wasn't even bound by that law, came back and realized who Jesus was and, and, and laid himself before his feet, recognizing that he was the Son of God. And Jesus says something to him he doesn't say to the other nine. In, in the translation we have, it says that, go, your faith has made you well, which is one way to translate it. But that same word well can also be translated as whole or saved. It's the same word, no matter what you do. But it's, may, you are now who you were created to be. And that was something that the nine Jews didn't get. They were no longer afflicted with, with the curse of leprosy. But they were, still weren't who they were created to be. Andrew Greeley, who's a Roman Catholic priest and sociologist, uh, um, would often tell the story of a man who, in his 20s, um, was, had a budding career, you know, was kind of moving up his rank. Things were going, his wife had a great career. Everything was going wonderful when they discovered there was a brain tumor. And the brain tumor was such a, was a place that it couldn't be operated on. And although it didn't appear to be malignant, it, did, it was causing lots of problems because of the parts of the brain that it was putting pressure on. And it caused really weird behavior from him and, and was just really ruining their life. And so they searched for doctor after doctor after doctor. And finally, they found a surgeon who said, I think I can remove it, you know, safely. He said, there's some risk, but I really think I can do this. And so they decide to do that. And they go in, and surely enough, the doctor takes the tumor out, and, and the man makes a full recovery. and is able to get back to the, this life that he had planned. And, you know, I bet he was happy. You know, was, things really looked bad. And, and, you know, of course, he probably paid his bill and did all that and thanked the doctor for what a great job he did. And then 30 years later, um, as they were sitting in their living room, his wife opens the paper and she's looking at the obituaries and she said, oh, Dr. Smith died. And he says, who? Dr. Smith, the guy who did your brain surgery. He died. And she goes, oh, well, I didn't know that. And she goes, his wake is this weekend. And why don't we go? And he said, I can't go this weekend. We have a golf out trip to go on. Sometimes we're a lot like that with God. You know, in, in, in the guy's defense, you have to admit it was 30 years ago. He probably hadn't seen him in 30 years. But how easy it is for us to take the gifts that God gives us and then simply move on. You know, the, the man really sort of unintentionally, but had an attitude of, of what has God done for me lately? Or what have you done for me lately? What has the doctor done for me lately? And it becomes easy for us to be like that too. You know, if somebody does an act of kindness to us in the moment, we're very appreciative. But once it's done, does that remain? Because if not, then we're sort of like those nine lepers who didn't return, aren't we? We might have the problem that we have immediately before us taken care of, but we've just moved on to the next set of problems. It didn't really change who we were or what we were. We weren't made whole. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. And, and we have to ask ourselves, 
you know, 2,000 years after he was telling this story. Are we a people who live lives of gratitude? Have we been transformed by the blessings that have been poured upon us? Or are we children of problems? You know, do you li- get, your, get up every morning and, and think, um, dear God, you know, it's a new day. What can I do for you today? I can't wait to see what you have in store. Or do we get up in the morning and say, dear God, it's another Monday. What am I going to have to put up with today? That's the, the you know, fundamental difference. Who are we? What is it that we primarily look at? Do we look at the obstacles, the problems of life? Or do we look at the blessings? You know, God has showered so many blessings upon all of us. If nothing else, you have air to breathe. I mean, that's really helpful. You would think so if you couldn't breathe it. You know, he, he gave us a country that we live in that is bountiful. I mean, when you go to the grocery stores, you don't have trouble finding food in there. There's lots of food. You know, when, when we, we talk about poverty and how awful things are for people, and, and they are, but only in comparison with other people. In, in reality, we have a far better, anybody in this country has a far better than most people who've ever lived in the world. And yet, too often what we focus on are the problems. What we see is, God, you know, why in the world did you let me come down with this illness? God, why in the world would you allow this to happen? God, why did you let that person cut me off in traffic? You know, God, why do you let these things go on? And we become people who focus on the problems of life and not on the blessings. And the one, if we focus on the problems of life, the, the real you know, downfall to that is that we become bitter people. We become hardened and jaded. You know, we begin to think of life as a series of obstacles to overcome. And then we forget to enjoy and celebrate what we have. That's the real calling. It's not just to have a problem solved so that you can get a new one, but to have life, one that you enjoy, that you celebrate constantly, that you get up and you look at the sky and think how gorgeous that is, that you, you know, look at your children or grandchildren and wonder at the innocence and the, the mere fact that they can be alive and happy. Now those are the, the kinds of things that God wants us to focus on is to live life. Because if we don't, if we really truly become a series of obstacles to overcome, which in a production-laden society is very easy to do, what will happen is that we see life as a problem. It's only which one's next. And even though we're alive, we're only living for death. You know, is it any wonder that if that's what your life is, at the end of it, you're ready to give up and quit? You know, I just soon die. I'm supposed to hang around here. How much longer am I going to have to do this? Or we can see our lives as opportunities, as blessings. Not the least of which, by the way, is that his son came into the world and died on a cross so that we might have real life, abundant life. Not just, you know, biological existence, but life worth living. Life worth noticing. Life that never ends. 
And it's that life that he wants us to grasp hold of. You know, every Sunday when we gather for communion, just before the communion, there's an invitation. Did you all know that? Did you all hear the invitation? When I lift up the elements, we say, the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. And feed on him in your hearts by faith with what? Thanksgiving. That's really the essence of it all. What does it mean to feed on Christ in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving? What it means is to let your whole being be changed into a person of gratitude and joy as opposed to a person of problems and obstacles to overcome. Because when we do that, then we have the opportunity to begin to really see life the way God intended for it to be. Now, does it mean you'll get rid of all the problems and they won't happen anymore? No. What it means is that you'll no longer see them as curses. I mean, think about it. Paul's in jail when he's writing the epistle to Timothy today. What does he say? He said, I am an apostle for, an apostle for Christ in chains. Now, Paul doesn't see that as a problem. He sees that as an opportunity. He said, and he thinks it's great. Now, that's the first thought you would have if you got thrown in jail, isn't it? This is wonderful. Now, why does he think it's wonderful? Because God has now given him a captive audience that he can preach to. Because they have to stay there and guard him. And he can tell them all about the good news of this loving God who changed him so much. And what's amazing is that he changed an awful lot of guards by doing that very thing. I mean, but simply by telling them about how God changed his whole outlook on life. And if you read through Acts, you'll see story after story after story where Paul's constantly you know, overcoming the obstacles by pointing to the blessing of who this God is. A God that doesn't see life as a problem. That doesn't see life as something to be made smooth but rather sees the problems as opportunities for us or others to be benefited. You ever think of your problems that way? And if you think about it, it really does make sense. I mean, what if we had never had to take a math test? How many people here would like that? I would. How many people here wouldn't like that? Some people like math, right? It's fun. It wasn't fun for me. But imagine what it would be like for those of us who wouldn't have done it anyway. Would you have studied math if you didn't have to take the test? I would. Well, I mean, those of you who didn't like it, would you have studied it if you didn't have to take the test? Probably not. And I suspect those of you who like math, you have other things you wouldn't have done if you didn't have to. You see, part of the reason why we do things isn't because they're easy, but it's because they're hard. It's because they're difficult. It's because we are transformed in the doing of them. Because we see them not as a problem, but as an opportunity. You know, and it's, it's a sad thing that, that free education is lost on the youth. It really is. I mean, for kids, it's, I got to go to school again today. For the parents, it's like, I want my kid to get an education. This is really important. I mean, this is something that needs to be done. And you don't realize that until after you're out of it, but but it really is true, is the opportunity. And, and when you realize that for most of history, people didn't have that opportunity. You know, and what it meant was back-breaking labor 
in fields, digging up rocks so you could you know, till the fields. It wasn't a pleasant life. And yet, all too often, it's a problem. It's, it's a problem. And then, if we don't solve the problem correctly, what do we do then? I mean, your horse is, well, sometimes. We bemoan or complain it or, or about it or whatever. I mean, you know, we say it's not fair. You know, we, we come with all these reasons why life is so bad. And yet, in reality, life is so wondrous. I mean, just think of the human body, how it's made. Don't you find it sort of amazing that when you want to walk, your feet move? I mean, think of it, do you have to give that a lot of thought? But talk to somebody who has a neurological disease, like ALS or something. I remember Randy Raybold, who was junior warden of this parish and a wonderful guy, had ALS, and he told me, you know what bothers me the most? And I said, what? He said, I can't even button my shirt. It's driving me crazy because his fingers wouldn't work. He couldn't get them to do the things that he wanted them to do. So those of us who have healthy bodies and your leg moves when you want it to, rejoice. It's a good thing. And if you focus on the many, many blessings that you have, then you won't be so focused on how downtrodden and awful it is. And you'll begin to see the, even the problems that you get to simply be ob opportunities to learn how to overcome. Because that's really all that they are. And the truth is, is that you will never, ever run out of opportunities to have obstacles to overcome. And that's good, because that means that you will keep growing. It's only bad if you allow it to become who and what you are, if you forget to rejoice in the blessings of life.